Have you ever felt a visceral attraction to a politician? There is not a liberal America and a conservative America. There is the United States of America. I am your voice. Ask yourself if they're really telling the truth. This is a secret innuendo being leaked out there about me. I was honestly concerned that he might lie about the nature of our meeting. This is Subliminally Correct, a bi-weekly podcast where we examine all the ways politicians and newsmakers are using psychological tactics to influence you every single day. And now, join myself, Taylor Sherman, certified hypnosis instructor and executive coach, along with my co-host, Alex Dobranek, political consultant and certified consulting hypnotist, on this episode of Subliminally Correct. And welcome to another episode of Subliminally Correct. Taylor, what do we have up for today? So today we're going to be listening to the House Republicans press conference in response to Nancy Pelosi's impeachment inquiry to Donald Trump. Now, what we're going to hear here is, of course, the Republicans are going to respond to this in a particular way that really is kind of rehearsed. We're not going to be hearing a whole lot of you know, fresh new ideas, but because it's so rehearsed, it's going to give us a really interesting look into some typical persuasion strategies that they're going to be using. Now, this press conference is going to start off with Liz Cheney talking about how Democrats have been doing some careening from one theory to another theory. So that's what you have to look forward to. But before we get to that clip, we'd like to ask you all to consider supporting this show. Now, as you know, we have a Patreon page, and if you're not aware of how to get to it, you can find it in the show notes. So just scroll down to the show notes, or you can go to our website, click support us, and that'll take you right to our Patreon page. For as little as $3, you can support the show and really help keep us on the air to help all of this good content keep coming toward you. So let's take a listen to this first clip now. Uh, we have uh, just come from our conference and uh, really focused on the discussion about what the Speaker of the House and the House Democrats did yesterday. And, you know, we have watched now, ever since President Trump was elected, uh, the House Democrats have been careening from impeachment theory to impeachment theory. Uh, they've careened from target to target for a while, 10 days or so ago, they were focused on impeaching Justice Kavanaugh. Now they're back to focusing on President Trump. But what we see repeatedly is a complete uh, lack of focus on concern about evidence and facts. And what Speaker Pelosi did yesterday uh, really uh, was the worst we've seen yet, where she announced an impeachment inquiry without any evidence, without seeing a transcript of the phone call at issue, without seeing any details from the supposed whistleblower. And when you think about what that does, both from the perspective of our constitutional obligation uh, and from the perspective of our national security, uh, it ought to give every American grave concerns that they are dealing with this in a way that is absolutely so such a flagrant disregard of their constitutional responsibility. When Speaker Pelosi went out yesterday and announced that there would be an impeachment inquiry of the President of the United States, uh, at that moment our President was up in, in New York at the General Assembly. And he was there having meetings, as Presidents do during those sessions, bilateral meetings with uh, other heads of state. There was absolutely no justification to launch this impeachment inquiry at all, no reason she had to do it yesterday. 
Uh, one can only guess that she did it because she was intentionally trying to weaken the president, trying to weaken his hand as he's dealing with crucial issues of national security uh, with our allies uh, and, and some of our adversaries. So it was an absolute disgrace. We're now in a situation where not only have they hurt national security, but they're fundamentally abdicating their constitutional responsibility. Impeachment is a very solemn, uh, grave uh, responsibility we all have. And for this speaker to be going down this path and for the Democratic caucus to be going down this path before they have seen any evidence at all uh, is something that I think is absolutely unprecedented in our history. So I uh, would like to now turn things over to the Republican leader of the House Judiciary Committee, Mr. Collins, to discuss this further. So now the big thing with this press conference right here, and really with a lot of the Republican rhetoric that comes up, is that they're calling this impeachment inquiry as, you know, as being ridiculous and unfounded because there's no evidence to support the inquiry. But, you know, the thing that they conveniently leave out here is the fact that an inquiry is to find evidence and to find the facts. And you don't necessarily need to have those before you begin the inquiry to begin with. All you need is an allegation. And that's what they have. So they're sort of confusing, uh, and I think intentionally, the difference between an inquiry and the actual impeachment. And so they're trying to say that this impeachment inquiry is in and of itself somehow an uh, an indictment, an impeachment, um, and, you know, a, a conviction of the president that is unfounded yet, when in re- reality, it's just an investigation um, to find more facts and to find more evidence that they're looking for. Yeah, exactly. Like, this is what we're hearing here from the Republicans in this entire press conference, is that they're going to keep saying, we don't have the facts, we don't have the facts, we don't know what is there. And they're also going to be emphasizing this idea that this just happened, that this was something that while the president was in New York and he was conducting presidential business, this just happened, and I don't know why they're doing it now, and there's no real reason for them to do it now. But we have to remember that all the way back in July of 2019, the House leadership had agreed to start formal impeachment proceedings, even though there wasn't a formal vote on the matter at the time. And then we had the Lewandowski you know, hearing where you have that testimony coming through and we had everything happening within the Mueller report. But now we have this whistleblower complaint that has been was filed by a member of the National Intelligence Committee, um, but the director of National Intelligence didn't forward that to Congress as he was required to, and he said that the reason he didn't was because he was directed not to do so by the White House and by the DOJ. Now, that sounds like pretty good evidence to me to be able to look at something and, you know, just look into a matter a little bit further, but again, we're going to hear from them again and again and again. This, we have no evidence for this. There's nothing going on. And she uses that interesting, you know, word theory, implying that it's some, you know, similar to like a conspiracy theory, like this is just some idea someone dreamed up and there was nothing, you know, linked to it or going with it. And she says, you know, we're careening and you're going to hear actually in the next part here, another one of the Republicans uses a similar analogy to talk about how um, the Democrats have been proceeding here. And, you know, she uses this thing of we have a complete lack of lack of focus on the evidence and the facts. Um, And she says that this is the worst of Pelosi that we've ever seen, which really serves to amplify this sense of what is going on. 
Now, let's bring this down to a language level a little bit here, because what are we hearing here that Liz Cheney is saying, and we're also going to hear it from a number of the other Republicans? I want you to pay attention to when you hear this word or this phrase, what we see. So she says, what we see is this. What we see is that. We see a complete this. We see that. But who is the we that she's talking about in this scenario? Who is we exactly that she is referring to? Well, is we the Republicans? Is we the American public? Who is the we exactly? Well, that's all left unclear. And so what happens is people fill in their own ideas for that. And then later on in her speech, she has this idea, this sentence she says where, where you know, there's no reason she had to launch this impeachment inquiry yesterday. And one can only assume dot, dot, dot. So let's break down that for just a second. One can only assume. So first of all, the word one Okay, that's indirect language, right? In hypnosis, you would call that an, uh, uh, an indirect suggestion. So when you give a person that word, like one people, a person could, a person might, this is a setup for indirect suggestion. So one can only assume, meaning that's the only assumption that one could make, that they just want to get this president out of office and they want to do this. So she has this pacing language going on. This is what Trump was doing. He was doing normal business. So he wasn't doing anything bad when he launched the inquiry. And therefore, because of that, the inquiry is baseless. So what do we hear here? A lot of persuasion going on. She is tying together a bunch of ideas. And because she says them so quickly and she's linking them together so persuasively, those ideas sometimes can go through unquestioned. And then she's also using hypnotic language patterns to be able to communicate those ideas to people in a much deeper way. Now, in this next clip that we're going to be listening to, we're going to be hearing from Jim Collins. And this was probably one of my favorite clips of this entire entire uh, speech that they were giving here, this joint you know, conference, even though there's a lot of great stuff that comes up later. And one of the reasons is just how much persuasion Collins manages to fit into this actually fairly short clip. So let's take a listen to this part. Thank you. Uh, what we're seeing is a continuation of just complete, <laughs> utter disrespect for this House. What we have seen over the past little bit, especially with the Speaker yesterday, jumping to conclusions. It is amazing that we're, what we are seeing coming out of this is taking hearsay, taking stuff you've not read and saying it's going to be impeachment inquiry. I have one uh, news flash for the Speaker. She's not doing an impeachment inquiry. She's not doing the steps that it actually takes. It's just another decision by this speaker and the House uh, Democrats to disregard over 200 years of precedent in this House, where we actually have rules, we actually have things that matter, and they are so bent on getting at this president, especially while he was in New York City doing exactly what he's supposed to be doing. It's just amazing to me. But I think uh, our caucus chair, was, she was too kind. Look, I'm going to say this. They're more like Plinko. Ever watch the old game Plinko? This is the way they're treating impeachment. They just drop the thing in and see which way it bounces. Well, first it was Mueller, first it was this, first it was a Mueller, and they just just trying to hit the imaginary target of getting rid of a president that they don't like. You don't do it this way. And what we saw on the House floor, in the House yesterday, and the discussions around that, when people talk about an impeachment inquiry, they talk about a speaker who's lost control of her own conference. We talk about a speaker who's lost control of the facts. We've talked about a speaker who no longer can honestly stand before the American people and honestly be a voice for her party or for reason. Because what they're supposed to be doing, they're not doing. And when they actually attack on a hearsay, 
when they attack with not even seeing. It just shows how desperate they have become. And when they become that desperate, it leads to a dysfunction in our committees. We've seen that, and I know um, Leader Jordan here is going to speak in just a minute from his committee perspective. But we saw this in our committee perspective just a week ago. The Democrats allowed a p Democrat donor, a large Democrat donor, to break the rules of this House and question Corey Lewandowski for 30 minutes. And there's almost been crickets that that was okay. It was not okay. When you break the rules of the House, when you go against that because you're so desperate to pin everything on the president, that is when it's become a disgrace. The Democrats now have frankly fallen to a disgraceful status. They need to explain to the American people why they've chose to trash the House instead of build up the American people and help this president when he is wanting to put America first. All right. So here we hear Collins coming in with this idea, and he has this repetition again of that key phrase that I was just referencing there of what we're seeing. And you actually heard him say it about two or three times right all in a row there. What we're seeing is a complete, utter disregard of a house. What we're seeing is this. It's amazing that what we're seeing, he's not really saying anything. He's just saying what we're seeing is this, what we're seeing is that. But that phrase is so powerful because, number one, it assumes that we, who is the we? We are all seeing the same thing. And when he's saying that that phrase, it encourages people to go, okay, we're on the same boat. We're seeing all the same, the same thing until, of course, they don't. And he throws in this idea of jumping to conclusions. And this is, again, the Republicans just hammering on that point that there's nothing the president did. It's a minuscule idea. And the Democrats are disregarding precedent. 200 years of precedent. You know, I just love when we bring it all the way back, you know, 200 years of, of precedent here. And what do we have there? We have the numbers. You know, when you add in a number to something, it makes it more persuasive, especially when the president as he says, was in New York doing his business. But here's the thing. What does Trump being in New York have anything to do with this impeachment inquiry? It has nothing to do with it. So when they're giving this idea of, well, he was in New York and he was doing that when all of that happened, who cares where he was when Nancy Pelosi announced that she was launching an inquiry? Does it really matter where he was or what he was doing? It doesn't, but they're trying to paint this idea that Trump was just off doing his business. He's just this innocent guy who is you know, doing his business and the Democrats are out on this witch hunt for him. But my favorite part of this was when he started really to go into this analogy and he started talking about Plinko. <laughs> and Plinko, if you don't know it, is something that was on the show The Price is Right. It was actually introduced in 1983. And so because it's been on such a popular TV show for so long, people can look at that and immediately associate to it and know what it's about. Price is right. It's fun. They can maybe hear the music. And he says they're like Plinko. You ever see that old game Plinko? They just drop that thing in and see which way it bounces. Well, first it was this and first it was that. And then it was the other thing. And then it was this other thing. And again, we're hearing that same type of thing that Liz Cheney was saying at the beginning where she was talking about the careening from impeachment theory to impeachment theory, implying that the Democrats are flaky, implying that also, what are they doing? They're playing the same game. He's likening it to a game. And no matter which way it drops, they would act the same. They're trying to get at this imaginary you know, target, and you don't do it that way. Now, the thing is, is that analogies like this really bypass a person's conscious mind. So when you're using an analogy like Plinko, all of a sudden people are 
are looking at that and they're, you know, having family time or, you know, maybe they were younger and they're watching The Price is Right and they're having fun and it's Plinko. So when all of a sudden they're consumed by that memory, now Collins is slipping in this idea, all of the background ideas of what he really, really wants them to believe. And, you know, that's what's so fascinating about this. Yeah, and a lot of what we see here too is this sort of I don't I don't want to say feigned, but this sort of uh this outrage that they all seem to be mustering at this moment. And so here we see him going on about when people talk about an impeachment inquiry, they talk about a speaker who has lost control of her own conference. We talk about a speaker who has lost control of the facts. We talk about a speaker who can no longer honestly stand before the American people and honestly be a voice for the party and for a reason. Um, and so what he's doing here is two things. First, you hear that switch from he's saying they to we. So he says they talk about a speaker who has lost control of her own conference. And then he switches to saying we talk about a speaker who has lost control of the facts. So now what he's saying here is he's sort of switching from the other, sort of switching from, you know, you perceiving other people talking about it to now you're a part of the people who are saying these things. Uh, that the speaker has lost control of the facts. So now you're a participant, you're observing the same things that he's saying at this point. And so he does sort of that that tricky little uh, transition there. And so he's just linking her to all these things that are negative by saying that this is stuff that people are saying. Trump does this a lot too, where he, you know, sort of just says, uh, people said this, people are saying this, people are saying that. And he's able to sort of link unsubstantiated things. There may or may not be actual people saying this. It may just be somebody in his office that's saying that. It could be anybody. But, you know, by the... By the sheer fact of saying people are saying this, it adds sort of a credence that it is a larger group of people than just himself saying this. And so he's able to link that and he's able to tie it into um, you yourself because you're part of the we. And then he uh, uses the word honestly uh, in a weird way where he starts, you know, using it over and over and over again. Um, and when somebody says honestly, and, and actually we can go back to some of our episodes about Joe Biden and the debates where Joe Biden says things like, you know, and I really mean this. And so he's doing the same type of thing. He's saying, you know, honestly, this is what's going on. Honestly, this is this. And so it's just sort of a way for him to, you know, add in a little bit of of um, personability, a little bit more of a, a personal nature to it all. Um, and it's something that a lot of people just don't pay attention to, but it does affect your subconscious. So then we hear him going into these cause and effect statements. So he says this phrase, you know, when they attacked on hearsay, it just shows how desperate they have become. And when they become that desperate, it leads to a dysfunction in our committees. Now let's break apart this phrase, because again, people say these things so fast and they say them so quickly. And if you're not listening with that critical ear to hear how did they actually just say that you might actually inadvertently accept the conclusions they came to based on false premises and this is exactly here what Collins is doing because he's saying when they attack on hearsay it just shows how desperate they have become now that is a cause and effect linkage when x it just shows how y so 
when this happens, that just shows, again, to who, in what way, we don't know, but it just shows how this other thing is true. Why? And then he takes that that he just presumed, this was his uh, presumption, and then he says, and when Y... It leads to Z. So and when they become that desperate, it leads to a dysfunction in our committees. So notice how he linked up the two ideas as they're attacking on hearsay, and that means dysfunction in our committees. But he didn't just say that one into two. He actually put a second step in there. He put in that hearsay means desperate. Desperate means dysfunction. So does it then mean that hearsay means dysfunction? You see, and that's that's what he's doing here is he's linking things together in that very persuasive way. And again, it's it's listening to this with with a slightly closer level of hearing. Sometimes you got to stop these things, rewind them and go, you know, is that actually what they just said, you know, right at that moment? And really it's an example of that slippery slope fallacy of okay, this is true and then if this happens then that one, if that happens then this other one. And then he's getting into here at the the end this outrage okay this outrage just a week ago the democrats allowed a large democrat a large democratic donor to break the rules of this house remember this is an assumption he's making allegedly right allegedly broke the rules but to break the rules of this house and to question Corey lewandowski for 30 minutes <laughs> i just love how outraged he is about this 30 minutes 30 minutes and it's been almost crickets and that was okay. It's like, man, 30 minutes of questioning someone is somehow equal to us doing an investigation about a president who has just had a whistleblower complaint, you know, about his conversations of, with, with a foreign country investigating improperly his political opponent opponent in the next election. Yeah, that's exactly the same thing. No, it's not even close. But notice how he brings it with so much outrage that those two things are vastly different in their magnitude, but his outrage makes them seem like they're the same. And actually that these 30 minutes that Corey Lewandowski was questioned is actually the worst of the sense. So you're getting into and you're understanding, you know, why these things are so persuasive, why they are so backed up with a an idea that this was planned way, way before. Okay, it might seem like these um, Republican speakers are speaking from the heart, but I can tell you this was pretty much completely rehearsed. They almost certainly had teleprompters, you know, going on. They were in their typical, you know, meeting place. And so a lot of these things that they're saying, they, they weren't coming from the heart. These are things that they really were thinking of ahead of time to figure out how to frame this in, in the best possible way for themselves. Now, next we have Jim Jordan, who almost never wears a suit jacket, uh, coming before uh, the press conference here to... Uh, and, and Jim Jordan's really one of my favorites of the Republicans, um, because he is the he's best able to you know double speak and and uh dodge the actual issues um at hand and so here you're gonna see you know really a, a marvelous performance from jim jordan talking about how how horrible it is that the democrats are attacking this president uh who was elected well let me just say uh conference chair um Cheney was exactly right. Yesterday was an unbelievable day to see the Speaker of the House do what she did about a document that she hadn't even seen. And um, my guess is, is because they are so focused on attacking 
attacking the individual, the American people made president of the United States, that they're, they're looking for anything and everything. The Michael Cohen hearing didn't work for them. The John Dean hearing didn't work for them. The Mueller report and Mueller hearing didn't work for them. The Lewandowski hearing didn't work for them. So let's do a press conference and let's talk about something we haven't even seen, because maybe that'll work. That's how desperate and ridiculous this has gotten, and I think the American people see through it. They see clearly the job that this president has done, and they appreciate that, and they think what the Democrats are doing is ridiculous. And frankly, the precedent it sets is is dangerous as well. So, um, look, we'll look at the document, um, but I think uh, the facts are that they got nothing else, and they're doing, they're doing the kind of things that they did yesterday. 160-some Democrats, I think, are wanting to move forward about something they haven't even read, haven't even seen. I don't know that we've ever seen that in uh, in the history of the Congress. So uh, with that, I'll yield to our leader who's doing a great job leading our team, and that's uh, Chairman McCarthy. All right. So here we hear a relatively short clip from Jim Jordan, you know, really just emphasizing a lot of the themes that we have talked about, you know, so far. He talks about, he goes back to his talking points is what Jim Jordan is doing here. He says that this didn't work for them. That didn't work for them. He suggests that Democrats are just grasping for straws, this sense of desperation. And he says, I think that the American American people see through it. Now, I think I've shared with you all before that one of my favorite nominalized phrases of all politics is the phrase, the American people. Because what does that mean? Who specifically are we talking about? But you're going to notice that politicians on both sides use this phrase quite a bit um, because it works. Because when you talk about the American people, it has a sense of being grand and broad enough to encompass encompass all of the electorate. And yet they don't have to be specific and they can let someone's mind fill in the kind of vagueness. So Jordan's going back to his typical political playbook. He's bringing back his rhetoric that is kind of old, kind of rehearsed, and he really has this complaint about the precedent. So what is the precedent that something sets? Well, that's so open-ended. You know, what does he mean by that? What is the particular precedent that is being set? Well, we don't really know, but it's easy to say, you know, this sets a precedent, and I don't like the precedent that it, <laughs> that it actually sets. What does he mean? Well, maybe we'll find out later from some of the other um, from the other people here that are speaking. So now this next clip here, you'll see Kevin McCarthy, the leader at the minority leader of the Republican Party, and he's going to be really doubling down on everything that they said. But he is clearly a much more polished speaker. And he's going to use a lot of alliteration, a lot of repetition here. And that's going to sort of penetrate into the listener subconscious. So now they're going to be able to listen, you know, to a lot more of his connections because he's saying it over and over and over again in the exact same way. So take a listen to what he says right here. You know, normally in a normal Congress, we'd come here and we'd talk to you about what's going to be on the floor. What legislation is passing through committee? What problem that we're going to solve? Our ability to work together. But let's see the facts of this Congress. Democrats have voted three times to impeach the president. Twice they voted before the Mueller report even had one word public. I just watched the speaker yesterday demean the office of the speakership. I understand members when they want to be political, but the power of the speaker is a much different place to be. I listened to the speaker claim that the president violated the law based on nothing that she had read, based upon a whistleblower that wasn't even listening 
to a conversation with an IG saying that the whistleblower has political bias. I listened to Nancy Pelosi, the speaker, promise the American public if they trusted the Democrats with the majority that they would be different. That they'd be different this time. That they'd work to solve problems. At the same time, I watched Congressman Nadler run for a chairmanship of judiciary. He promised his conference that he would impeach the president. The Democrats lied to the American public, but Chairman Nadler kept his promise to the Democratic conference. Make no mistake, yesterday was a dark day for America. It was a dark day for the rule of law that the Speaker of the House would claim a president violated the law without ever having any information to judge it on. It was a dark day for national security. That you were willing to jeopardize the national security of our country today and in the future because of your own political bias. Name me one world leader regardless of who sits in the Oval Office, of how honest of a conversation they are going to have if they're fearful that the transcripts are going to become public to the world. It was a dark day for the rule of law. That a president's going to be held guilty without any proof in the process. It's a dark day for the rule of law when we watch a former vice president tell the public that he did quick pro quo. That he told another country that he would hold up a billion dollars if they would not fire a prosecutor that was looking to his own son that he flew on an Air Force Two. That if they did not fire them in six hours, he was leaving. It is a dark day for the Congress, for the actions of this speaker, but more importantly, for the action of this majority party. <coughs> they promised the American public they would be different. But USMCA is not coming to the floor. They promised the American public that they'd work together. But when we have a bipartisan prescription drug bill, they put a poison pill so it can't become law. They promised the American public that they'd protect them, but they will not improve the immigration system of America to solve the problem. They promised they would be different, and they have not. I'm not speaking to you as a Republican leader. I'm speaking to you as an American that's disgusted with what has taken place by the Speaker of the House <coughs> and the action of this majority party, who is only driven because they did not like the outcome of a 2016 election. It is time to put people before politics. It is time to run by the rule of law. It is time to uphold that you look at evidence before you judge whether somebody is guilty. And you know what? It is time to stop putting the American public through this nightmare. How many more months will we have to investigate? How many more millions will we have to spend to prove that they are wrong and the election is over? I know they are better than this. I'm just asking that they act like it. And now here you can see Kevin McCarthy is really talented at this. Like he really leans into this speech and he gives it everything that he's got. He talks about how in a normal Congress, we work together. This is what we do. But then he talks about this Congress. Then he talks about all the terrible things that Democrats have done. And he really leans into this, this tone of surprise and disgust as if this, he is just shocked and he's clutching his pearls at oh my god that the democrats are doing this and he goes again and again and again talking about you know uh chairman nadler and how he uses this this alliteration and repetition here he talks about how the democrats lied to the american public but chairman nadler kept his promise to the democratic conference and if you listen back and you hear that again he almost messes it up because he's trying this complex alliterative uh, uh, speech and this rhyming that he can't even say it himself. But what uh, what he has here is planned alliteration that the Democrats lied to the American public, 
But Chairman Nadler kept his promise to the Democratic conference and sort of talking about this this dual sort of allegiance here to, you know, America is who we really should be working for and the Democrats really should be working for. But Chairman Nadler is part of the enemy because he's the one who's told the Democratic conference that they were going to get an impeachment. So, yes, we hear a tremendous amount of repetition here from McCarthy. He just keeps going on over and over and over again. And, you know, when I listen to this, I I almost got a little bit of a headache because it's like, man, do some people actually believe that this guy is serious? But the way he delivers it, it's, again, that kind of false outrage, that sense of, okay, well, I'm really going to tell you something that's true. But we know that this is, again, incredibly, incredibly rehearsed. So first of all, we hear the repetition. It was a dark day for the speaker, but it was also a dark day. For the entire Democratic House, <laughs> you know, it was a dark day and we, we say dark and, you know, dark is another thing. You know, we talk about analogies. Well, when you use colors, darkness being, you know, the absence of colors, of course. But when you use, you know, shades of, of things that it tends to evoke certain emotions, you know, a bright day would be different from a dark day. So he, but he keeps driving it home. It was a dark day. It was a dark day. They promised that they were going to do something about prescription drugs, but they put a poison pill in the drug bill. You know, it's like, okay, poison pill in the drug bill. And not only does that rhyme a little bit, but you know, you you hear his idea there of saying they are poisoning you. That's that's what he's suggesting here. They promised this. They promised they were going to be different. This was one thing I thought was, you know, kind of interesting about what he said because he kept saying he's framing the things that the Democrats have said, but he frames it in this weird light. He, he says, you know, Nancy Pelosi promised that they'd be different this time. But what does that mean exactly that they promised they would be different? In what way would they be different? And I'm sure that she was not promising it in the way that he was talking about for it to be different. But he says she promised that she'd be different, meaning kind of like she promised that she wasn't going to have that bad behavior anymore. That's the way that he's implying it, is that she wasn't going to be bad anymore. She promised that she was going to do it good this time. But just like anyone else that you know who promises to be different, but they end up doing the same thing, well, that's just who Nancy Pelosi is. Look at what he's bringing back. And then he said, you know, they promised they'd be different, but they're not. And I am disgusted. I am disgusted at this. Well, disgust is a very, very visceral root core emotion. You know, when you talk about disgusted, you're you're really disgust is when you look at someone through the eyes of disgust, it's actually like looking at them as though they were trash, as though they were something incredibly repulsive. And some of the research on micro gestures, in particular, the micro gestures around disgust show that when you show someone that body language signal, they really, really, really don't like it. So if you show someone a signal of disgust, that is, it's basically kind of like fighting words, but in this, the body language analogy of that, it's people really, really hate that um, to do that. And so he gets into this cadence, this repetition, and it, it kind of lulls the listener into compliance, into listening to him. His intonation and his tonality becomes very hypnotic. They'd be different this time. He says it as though he's serious, as though he's really, you know, bringing this bringing this in to the thing. And 
Yet, the points that he's making, if you really examine them logically, don't really make that much sense. But he wants them to make just enough sense where people can kind of check that box. So you were willing to jeopardize national security. I, I, I can't even believe that he goes here. But you were willing to jeopardize national security because of your own bias. Name me one world leader who would not be fearful to have a conversation now because of that national security. Well, but of course, what he conveniently omits here is the national security threat of Trump already having the conversations with the people of Ukraine. Like, that's not a national security threat. But of course, he reframes it, puts it into a different box, into a different light where people can listen to it in that in that way to see it in, in his way, in his framing, in his light. So now in this next section, and really for the rest of the press conference here, Kevin McCarthy is going to be answering questions from the media. And so this first question that he's asked is, you know, he's asked to comment on Nancy Pelosi's description of the president's actions when she came out and, you know, announced that they were starting the impeachment inquiry. And so listen to exactly, you know, how he takes the question, reframes it, and then gives his answer. So take a listen here. Yes, sir. I just wanted to see if you could, you've talked a lot about constitutional violations. I um, wanted to ask if you could respond specifically to what Speaker Pelosi said yesterday when she cited what she believes is a violation. I'll just quote from her. Please. From the transcript. She said, the president has admitted to asking the president of Ukraine to take actions which would benefit him politically. The actions of the Trump presidency revealed Discernible facts of betrayal, betrayal of his oath of office, betrayal of national security, betrayal, betrayal of integrity of our elections. So I guess two things to focus on there. They're saying they're the, pre the president did not say he did that. You have not read the transcripts. And what is being said about the transcripts, let's think what the Democrats are saying. They are claiming that the president did a quick pro quo. They're claiming that the president brought up Biden eight different times when no one has read this transcript. And the Speaker of the House, the individual who is in line to be president if something happens to the president or the vice president, claims there's a violation of the law based upon a whistleblower of facts that she never read and a whistleblower that was not even on the phone call. Now the President of the United States is being put in a position that no other president in the history of this country has to do. That he is going to release a transcript of a conversation with another world leader so the entire world can see it. Simply because they want to impeach him. He has to continue time and time again. How many millions of dollars did we go through with the Mueller report? This speaker that claims the president violated also nominated Adam Schiff, the congressman of our intel committee, that is a gathering for our national security. The same individual, Congressman Adam Schiff, who had lied to the American public for the last two years, who looked into a camera and said he had proof beyond circumstantial evidence. Well, you know what? We spent millions of dollars, more than a year. We went around the world from our very best people from the FBI and others, and they found that was a lie. But he's still sitting at the helm of a chairmanship dealing with the national security. And at the same time the speaker sits there, she listened to a vice president in his own words say that, yes, he did hold up money to Ukraine unless they would fire a prosecutor that worked for Ukraine that was looking after his son's activities. Not one word about that. No, I think what the speaker did was a dark day, not only for this institution, but for the rule of law. And she put this country in harm's way when it comes to national security and our view around the world. 
At the exact same time, the leader of our country is sitting in the UN meeting with other world leaders, a challenge with Iran, a challenge with China and others. And she stands before that she's going to do a press conference all day long to say what's going to happen with impeachment. And she claims he violated the law with no proof, with no information, simply the fact that she does not like the outcome of the election. That questions her ability to even be speaker in my eyes. And we hear there at the very end that idea that he just throws out there, right? He, she claim he she claims that he violated the law with no proof and no information. And that proves that she has no right to be speaker. It's again that idea of a premise being linked to a faulty premise being linked to then a conclusion and that's another cause and effect. So what we're hearing here as he continues here, he hears this question as the person is being asked, and he really uses this way of going after Adam Schiff. He talks about all the bad things that he's done and really has this guilty by association attack on Nancy Pelosi and even gets into a lot of ad hominem attacks against both of them, you know, really implying that their motives are impure. It's it's really interesting how he turns the whole thing around from that very moment where the person asks the question and then you hear his voice go up and he says, well, you didn't read the transcript and that's what's going on. You know, the funny thing about this entire moment right here is that we we found out since this moment that some Republican leadership were invited to view and read the transcript before it was then released to the public as they're speaking right now. So these people right there have already read the transcript <laughs> and they're saying that nobody has read the transcript. Right. Is what that's what really stuck out to me in in watching this a couple days later. But if we go back to what he actually says here is that he is asked the question, you know, he's asked to comment on Nancy Pelosi's description of the president's actions. And what he does is he starts by reframing the entire question. So he says Let's think about what the Democrats are saying. And so what he's doing right there is he's asking the listener to disassociate from the speaker and the statement and broaden out their outlook here, broaden out to what's really going on here. And then he uses this moment to reframe all of the facts using flawed logic or his own logic here is that he's saying that Pelosi and the Democrats want Trump to release the transcript from a private conversation with a world leader. Releasing this is unprecedented. This has never been done before. This is outrageous. Oh, like, why could they want this? And then they say they only are doing this simply because they want to impeach him. And so what this is right here is that he's saying again, like the people before him, that the Democrats are investigating and asking questions, not because they want to find evidence, but simply because they want to impeach him. And so this is sort of a, a circular, sort of flawed logic right here, where he's sort of jumping the gun as far as what their actions actually are to paint them in a different light. Not necessarily that they're wrong, like don't get me wrong, because I think a lot of Democrats probably do want to impeach him. But you know, the the difference between what the Democrats are actually doing and their actions is very different from the way that Kevin McCarthy is framing it right here. And so you're going to see this here in the next two questions that he's going to get. Um, he's going to get this next question here. He's asked if he thinks the White House would have released the transcripts had Pelosi not started the impeachment inquiry. And so this is going to lead to another really interesting answer from Kevin McCarthy that you'll hear right now. Yes, ma'am. Uh, two questions. First of all, do you believe that the White House should make this transcript 
and the whistleblower complaint public. And secondly, they shouldn't have to, but they are. But secondly, do you think that the White House would have done so had the Speaker not taken the action she did yesterday? First of all, naming any president should they have to release the transcripts of every conversation they have with another world leader? The answer should be no. But this president, based upon what this majority party has done, lying to the American public on what they would work on. You're sitting before us today where America could be stronger this month. Not only our GDP, but more than 160,000 people at the lowest level would have a job. But you know what? We're not going to pass USMCA. We've got a crisis on the border. We've got a challenge when it comes to technology. Europe is acting, but is America. All that falls under the Judiciary Committee, but Nadler made a promise to his conference that he'd impeach this president. We had an IG report that looked at the DOJ. In any normal Congress, they would bring that inspector general before that committee that has jurisdiction to see what is going on. But no, we don't have time for that. The only thing they have time for is try to change the course of a 2016 election. But you know what this president has done? He's gone beyond what any president has done before. He is now putting forth the transcript so everybody in the world can read each word that he said to another world leader. And it changes a whole different standard for us. And you know what? In the end, it will make the country less safe by the actions of the speaker. So we're hearing here Kevin McCarthy really using a scope ambiguity in a way where he is broadening out and implying that the scope of what he is talking about is bigger than it actually is. So we hear this idea of would the White House, would the White House have released the transcripts if Pelosi had not started the impeachment inquiry? And he says, well, you know, first of all, and this is this is, again, those transition phrases where we've heard this from so many politicians where they move from one thing to another. He's not answering the question. He says, well, you tell me another president who should have to release the transcript of every world leader. So the question is, we have this one transcript here that we would like to have. And he says, well, you know, it's every conversation with every world leader and everyone in the world, he says later on in this in the clip, would be able to read that when in reality, you know, when this goes through, you know, it could be if there was any details that were classified, they could be censored. If there was anything that people did not actually, you know, uh, it would not be good to have out there that would not be allowed out there. That's how it would actually happen. But what he's suggesting is this whole idea of, well, now presidents are not going to be able to have private conversations with other world leaders. So he takes it and says, what would be the ultimate outcome of this idea if it is the way that I see it in my fantasy land of what I think this idea would be. It's like, kind of, let me paint you a fantasy picture of what this is. And then let me, let's like talk about what that would mean if that happened every time and everywhere and with every world leader. And isn't that scary? And so since that's scary, now feel that emotion. And now let me talk to you about what the Democrats haven't done. Let's talk to you about how they haven't passed USMCA. Let's talk about the 160,000 people. Let's talk about the crisis on the border and the technology and the so many things you know that he goes into here that is totally tangential from the question. Yeah, this is what really makes Kevin McCarthy a good public speaker and a good spokesman and a good you know minority leader is that he has this way about him where he's able to take this outrage and dial it up to a thousand. And he's able to create this fantasy land, like Taylor just said, where he changes the entire scope of the question 
broadens it out and then says, isn't that horrible? Aren't you scared of that? And you know what? The Democrats, meanwhile, are doing absolutely nothing. So now in the final question that he's asked, he's able to just like lay out a closing argument. He's really able to dial up that outrage, like I said, and, you know, clutch his pearls and talk about how horrible all of this is. And you'll love at the very end um, what he's asked as he's leaving. Um, And so let's take a listen right now. Yes. Yes, sir. How much do you think this impeachment incident is going to re-energize the Trump base in this next election? You know, and I'm not worried about energizing the Trump base. I'm worried about what it's doing to the fabric of America. I'm worried about what is it showing to the rest of the world. Just as we went through the Mueller report and the rest of the world had to watch as long as we, and it came back, and we found out that Adam Schiff lied to us and that the president did nothing wrong. But at the end of the day, I think what the rest of the country want to know, why did it start? Why would any president in the future have to go through this? I'd want to know the answer to the origin of that, and I'd want to make sure it never happens to anybody. What I'm concerned now is the Speaker of the House changed the course of that office for the history of this country. That a body that brings legislation, a body that represents the rule of law, would change the course of what it actually means. To claim that a president had violated the law with no information, based it on a whistleblower she does not know that wasn't even on a phone call, to claim that the president did a quick pro quo and mentioned Biden's name eight times. But when this transcript comes out, out. I wa- is it out? It's out. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So I think at the end of the day, the speaker owes an apology to this nation. And I think it's even questioned whether she should stay in her job. We are done with this. The transcript does say that he asked. So at the end here. You know, McCarthy spends this whole closing argument dialing up the outrage and talking about how nobody's read the transcript and how it doesn't say these things. And then he's interrupted and someone says (laughs) the transcript is out. And he's like, it's out? What? (laughs) And then other people in the press corps here are like, yeah, we've all read it. And he's like, oh. And then he just ends the press conference and just leaves. We are done with this, he says. (laughs) And so... (laughs) This is what's so hilarious about this whole thing is because he's giving this entire speech when everybody in the audience has already read the entire transcript and knows everything in it. And so, you know, he, he tries to really lay in the outrage and, you know, about how, you know, I'm not worried about energizing Trump's base. I'm worried about what it's doing to the fabric of America. And, uh, and you know, really it's diffused there at the end. Yeah, and she he's talking about this idea of changing the course of the op of the office for the history of the country the body that changes the rule of law and you know of course is not emphasizing the fact that the body does have certain privileges and certain rights and one of those rights is to be able to investigate abuses and in fact to initiate impeachment you know proceedings and so i guess we're going to see you know what happens with this but i think that's all the time we have for today thanks for joining us on this episode and what i'd like for you to do is is that if you really enjoy the show please remember Remember to subscribe to us on Patreon. Now, for as little as $3, you can support the show. So please go there. There's a link in the show notes. As you go down, you're going to be able to click that link. You can also find it through our website on the support tab there. But also come visit us at www.subliminallycorrect.com. Now, if you enjoy the show, please rate and review us on iTunes. Five stars, appreciated. 
because what happens is that when you rate and review us there, it helps so many other people to see it, to know that this is a good show, to know that you really enjoyed it. And so we really appreciate your support and we appreciate your reviews. And until next time, we will see you in two weeks.